Welcome to the Common Sense Connections app audio education series. We encourage you to listen carefully to the success and leadership principles discussed in this audio. They have enabled countless independent business owners just like you to build a successful business and have a full and balanced life. Hey, listen, how many people in here uh, uh, were in this industry in 1976? Raise your hands. Okay? How many people were, were alive in 1976? Well, that's, I think that makes me the, the, the oldest in the industry, and, and, and that, that sort of gives me permission to go back and tell my story, or I'm taking it to mean that. And uh, my dad ran wilderness sporting camps, and I just want to say that as a kid, I loved life like you wouldn't believe. I adopted my dad's dreams. I was going to do what he did. He was a national whitewater champion and all these things, and uh, <clears throat> everything was going just really, really good until I was 11 years old and dad died. And when dad died, my dreams died. Up until I was 38, 40 years of age, I couldn't even talk about that. That was how devastating it was. He died and left my mom with four boys. Gary was the oldest, 13, I was 11, and uh, what, six and two, right, Gary, I think? Well, what I uh, want to uh, tell you today is I watched my mother, who was a quiet, shy, introverted lady, Okay, I watched her decide, she made a statement, she, or she figured out that the best thing she could do for her boys was to run these sporting camps. Now, sporting camps is another way, another way to describe what they are. It's a man's hunting camps. No woman had ever done this. A lot of people, uh, some, uh, her own mother suggested people were going to think she was a loose woman if she even tried. But again, she figured it was the best thing that she could do for the boys, and she did. And so... I, I just recently read a book. I recommend everybody read it. It was called uh, 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 Free Range Kids. Anybody read that in here? But in that book, Free Range Kids, okay, it, it hit me. My mom didn't have the option of being a helicopter mom. When you're bringing up four kids trying to uh, run wilderness sporting camps, uh, she couldn't be a helicopter mom, and she certainly uh, couldn't tolerate snowflake kids. It's just the way it was. There was no safe spaces or anything like that. Matter of fact, She's had to make these choices. Picture this in today's environment. She had to decide who's going to uh, run the chainsaw. And she decided I, the 11-year-old was most capable of doing that. And so I did all the chainsaw, and, and, and Gary split the wood behind me for years. I don't know what they would do to you today if you let your 11-year-old go out and run a chainsaw. But we all lived through it, okay? I think we scare ourselves to death sometimes. Uh, by the way, okay, if you look back, uh, I was just looking online here a little while ago. Mom uh, built a successful dynasty there. Matter of fact, this weekend, right, Gary? They're up there. They're, we still cut ice, Ryan. They're up cutting ice uh, for next year's ice supply to this weekend, except we don't pay anybody to do it anymore. We sucker people to come in and <laughs> do it for the experience, right? But anyway, uh, sort of. Then after. I lost my way. I went to uh, my advisor, high school advisor, told me to go to the University of Maine because that's the only place I, I could get accepted. I went to the University of Maine. I learned how to drink beer and drink it efficiently. I had no reason to be there, okay? I wasn't really an alcoholic. I was just a drunk. And uh, nothing good came of it except I met my wife, Debbie. And uh, that's a whole other story. But then, I, then I, I had no direction, so I took the, the easiest job I could find. It was one for the government. 
Uh, who was it? Connie was talking about working for the government? Oh, God bless you. And anyway, you know, my, my favorite quote today is one by Helen Keller. Helen Keller, now remember, she was, she was blind, deaf, and dumb. And she made this statement. She said, life is either a daring adventure or nothing at all. Think about that. And, and, and so that, that wasn't my favorite back then. Because at age, I went through my 20s, okay, and at age 29, here I was, I, I tell people I had golden handcuffs because here I was working for the federal government, hating what I did. All I had to do was drink coffee, but I was the boss, so I had to be there every day to make sure everybody else drank their coffee, and we, but we were being paid 10 times what we're worth. Okay, I know state employees weren't paid as much as federal employees were, Connie, but we were, paid a, we were paid a fortune. I knew I couldn't just quit that job and go out in the private sector and expect them to pay me a whole lot of money to drink coffee. And so I felt, I felt imprisoned, if you will, okay? To, to paraphrase uh, uh, well, Nightingale, he said, I was, tipped, uh, I was tiptoeing through life hoping to safely arrive at death. And then in 1976, I saw a precursor to this. The guy that showed me the business said this, and I'll never forget. He said, Tyler, the reason you keep failing at everything you try is everything you go after is so Mickey Mouse. And I was going after all these Mickey Mouse little businesses. And, you know, like one of them was a gravel pit in a floodplain. The first time the state asked the question, of, what are you going to do about this, and you had to fill out a big form, there was, there was no money in it anyway, so I'd go on and do the next thing. And he used this stupid analogy. I don't know where he got it, but I use it every day to this day. He said, Tyler, if I took a six-inch plank and ran it from this wall to that wall and gave you a $100 bill to walk it, would you? I said, of course I would. He said, if we take that plank and move it up 1,000 feet in the air and put it between two buildings, same plank, same $100 bill, would you walk it? And I said, of course I wouldn't. He went on and said, if I took your youngest daughter, Melissa, 1,000 feet up in the air, and Melissa's on the other side, and you're on this side, and somebody has a knife to her throat, what would you do? What would you do? We would run across the plank. You'd, you'd become what, what the military called target fix. They call it target fixation. But you'd be some, so, to, so totally target focused that you would run across the plank. You wouldn't even see the air. You wouldn't, there'd be a 0% chance that you would fall off that plank. You all agree with that? You would be just about getting to the other side. And so what this guy did is he said, sit down and figure out how much money it would take to give you the life you'd really love to have. Eliminate money as a factor in your life, if you will. So my wife and I did that. We, 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 we sat down, we decided what kind of cars we wanted, and I was, I was 29. I, I was, uh, where, where's Jason? I was one of you, a millennial almost, you know? And I, I was putting down stuff like I wanted a, the fastest American-made car at the, at the time was a Trans Am, cross-fired injection, I think, and I wanted uh, that for speed, and then to impress old farts, I wanted a, a, a you know, Cadillac, Fleetwood Brome, and well, all this stuff. My wife wanted a ship's captain's home on the, on the coast of Maine. I, I wanted a float plane, and, and don't ask me where this came from. I wanted to be able to tie it to my coffee table. In other words, I wanted to have a, a float plane, I wanted to live on a lake, and I wanted to be able to step off and go flying without having to walk down to the lake to do it. We wanted to send the kids, our kids to the colleges of their choice, and on and on and on. We got this all done back in 1976. It was going to cost me $10,000 a month. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a lot today. $10,000 a month. $10,000 back then, you could buy a Cadillac. That was a lot of money. But all of a sudden, I saw that $10,000 a month that came alive to me, and they could have told me I have to shovel hen manure for, for, for 12 years, 12 hours a day. Whatever it was, I was up for it. 
And once we made that decision, I mean, I look back at it. A lot of the stuff was really, really stupid. And a lot of, like the four vacations in a year, I'm going to be honest, those things really didn't motivate me that much. Reflecting on it and looking back those years, okay, what I really wanted, I wanted freedom and I wanted to be my kid's hero. I wouldn't even admitted that back then. But we went on and, you know, life is all about expect, looking forward and having something to hope for. We started out going on this journey in 1976. My goal was to be free at 33 years of age. And for the next four years, I think it was, it took me to become, uh, yeah, four years, okay. For the next four years, I was so excited about life, I couldn't sleep. I'd wake up in the middle of the night, just, just tickled pink. I, was just, I knew it was going to happen. I knew I was going to be able to tell my boss to kiss off. I knew I was going to be able to walk out of there. And, but, and the most exciting time of my life was that work period right there. Now, our, my, my retirement, that's a whole other story. I get an hour talk. It was the most obnoxious thing ever done in, my, in the hometown of Augusta, Maine. Okay? But I, and I don't recommend anybody do those things that we did. But I just want to say that the anticipation of it, that period of time, is what really was the most exciting thing uh, that, that we've ever done. Now, I, I'm not here, I want you to understand, I'm not here, I'm not anti-job. I think some of you have, I'm, many of you, I'm sure, have a job, or you're really making a difference, you really absolutely love it. I'm anti-handcuffs. I'm, I'm anti-being stuck somewhere that you really don't want to be. And I really do believe success can be a whole lot of different things to a whole lot of different people. I'm not here to try to say everybody needs to want freedom. I, I'll say some of these things, though. Uh, one, one of my, my favorite stories is Gary and I went out, and I was showing the plan to a woman out in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And Gary sat in the car while I went in and sat down at her kitchen table, okay? And I'm sitting there talking to the lady, and uh, one of the things I always do, I say, what would be the number one thing that would change in your life if you had an extra ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 a month coming in? And she looked at me, and I looked at her, and she didn't say anything, and I'm not going to say anything. The most awkward, you know, you can cut the ear because nobody's saying anything. And finally, she said this. She said, well, you know, she said, I, I own my car, I own my home, I have a pension coming in from the Marines, and I have a pension coming in from General Motors. I put those together, I make, it ends me. But she said, my son John came over a while ago, and John told me that I need a new roof. She said, I don't have money for a new roof. She said, I lay there every night in bed. And all I can think of is what happens if I have to replace that roof. She said, if I had an extra uh, $10,000, $20,000 a month coming in, she said, I would lay there at night and think about better things. Isn't that the difference between a dream and a nightmare? That's what Norman Vincent Peale, how he, he said it. Uh, he said, anybody that can worry can dream. And it really can hinge on something that, that small, Okay. So why, once we decide, I'm, I'm jumping through. I had so many notes I'm throwing out here. Uh, so so how, how come we then figure out what we do want, and how come sometimes we don't go after it? And I'm just going to tell you. What I found out it, with me, it was, there was assumptions I had about myself that I didn't even know were in there. And you know where those assumptions came from? They came from my family and the people I associated with and whatnot. Do you know that in the Libby family, we have a Libby family in, in America book, the last person to have a job. I, was, I had the first job of anybody for 400 years. You had to go back 400 years to find somebody else that wasn't an entrepreneur. So we were brought up thinking that we were going to be entrepreneurs and we were going to be really poor entrepreneurs. 
We also were brought up knowing that we weren't the ones that drove Cadillacs. You see a Cadillac or a Mercedes go by, we assumed that they drove those things, not us. We had these assumptions we had to get rid of. How do you get rid of assumptions about yourself, okay, that you don't know there? Oh, Charlie's, Charlie Tremendous Jones says this, you're the same person today that you're going to be five years from now, except for two things, the people with whom you associate and the books you read. You see, that's, what the, that's why I'm all into the system, guys. For years, back then, it was cassette tapes. I know some of you think it was reel-to-reel, but it was cassette tapes, okay? And I would go along, and I would listen to Randy Haugen. And when you're listening to Randy Haugen, it's like you're associating with because your subconscious mind doesn't know whether he's sitting next to you in the car or not. And I had a steady diet of listening to the audios of people that were making it, that people were where I wanted to be in life. And slowly over time, I decided, I, I got in my head that, yeah, that was me. I could do that. And once you get it in your head that you really can be you, and by the way, the other one, books, don't let me forget to talk about books. For those of you that have never heard me speak, there's one book that'll change your life. Write it down, Compound Effect. If you haven't heard, uh, read it, read it. I, it's one of the few books you want to reread and reread. Okay. Another one I just read just recently, if you want to know how to succeed without having any willpower, Read a book called Mini Habits. These books could change your life. What's that? Mini Habits. Compound Effect. I've got to jump through here. Okay, enough of the story. Look, you guys had a whole bunch of change. Huge changes have happened. Here's some facts. I was telling them last night. Change causes confusion. Confusion causes inaction. Inaction causes... Uh, Lack of belief, lack of belief causes death of anything. But we've got to get used to change, guys. Here's something I want to stress, though. For every explosion that I have seen in this industry, in my experience, 43 years, for every explosion that I've seen, they have all been preceded by a major change. So it sounds like I'm saying two opposite things, doesn't it? It takes change to create explosions, but most change does, just doesn't do that. I have also seen, I have seen how much ground you can make up, how much of an explosion you can create if you just have a small handful of loyal, seasoned leaders with belief. You can recover and rebuild and explode overnight. I've seen uh, Gary Libby sitting right over there. I've seen him go from 12 people coming to a, a meeting like this a month to 1,000 in about a year because they get it all right and you've got a core bunch of leaders. You give me a handful of leaders, we could take on the world, guys. And you've got the leaders that are here, the ones that are still standing, the loyal ones, et cetera, et cetera. A little more on change. This I, I ought to scare you a little bit. Human knowledge right now is doubling every 13 months. It's actually faster than that, and it's accelerating. As Yogi Bear once said, he said, the future ain't what it used to be. The vast majority, think about this, the vast majority of college students right now are training for jobs that will not exist when they graduate. I read this the other day. The average college graduate right now is going to have 11.2 jobs in his life and five careers. Right? I was watching Tucker Carlson show the other day, and he had a guy on there, uh, some genius, and he says in, 15, in the next 15 years, 40% of the jobs in the United States at least will disappear. Right? By the way, a side note, I happen to be an economist, a self-trained economist. There will still be jobs. They just won't be the jobs that are out there now. 
It'll be a whole bunch of jobs we don't even know about right now. But think about it. The malls are all going to be closed. Truck drivers won't have jobs. My granddaughter that lives with us, six-year-old Tori, will not get a light driver's license. She won't need one. Teachers, they're my, I have my daughter that lives with us as a teacher. She's training people now. She, uh, they've got a system that's going to phase teachers out of teaching. McDonald's employees are being automated. Autoba auto automobile manufacturers, they're saying now within the next 20 years, we're only going to have one-third of the number of cars in the United States we have now. It's going to be three big fleet managers, and everybody's not going to own cars. You're going to use cars. Doctors, there's already doctors out there, uh, uh, robotic doctors that are doing twice as good as the real doctors, okay? Hand laborers, there's three billion people in the world making less than $2.50 a day and they're coming here, nothing, we're not, nobody's going to stop them. Even the oldest profession. I saw out in Las Vegas last weekend, they're saying that's being replaced by some kind of thing called robots. The jobs are going to remain. A guy named James Solomon on Daily Mail said this. I thought this was cute, so I wrote it down. He said, nail technicians. All right? I uh, guess that's good. And relationship marketing is another one that's going to exist. You see, you want to know what you should do or what you're going to have to do to survive. You're going to have to change. And, and I, I read uh, uh, this somewhere. It says the future... Uh, the robot, robots are going to take over the world, but robots follow rules. So you have to learn to become a rule breaker. In other words, an entrepreneur. The things that you're going to learn here, creativity, communication skills, and all of those kinds of things will teach you how to adapt quickly. Every, I'm convinced everything you're going to need to know to learn how to change and change rapidly, BOSS provides. Just plug it in to people that are moving on and listen in and get, have your subconscious mind accept all of those things. In closing, uh, boy, to get this talk down to be this fast, uh, you ought to see the note pages I threw away out there, Okay. <laughs> By any measure that you want to take, we are living in the best time, the best place in human history. Right here in the United States of America. Right now, at this moment in time, optimism in the United States of America is at pretty much an all-time high. Okay? Jason sort of referred to a few of these things. But when people are really, really optimistic, they don't seek security anymore. They don't worry about security anymore. They're more adventurous. They're, more look, they're, they're looking toward opportunity more. Let me give you a few numbers that I think that should shock you. 62% of the people right now in the United States of America want to go in business for themselves. 62%. For millennials, Jason, where are you? Okay. For millennials, 72% of millennials want to go in business for themselves right now. 62% of overall, 72% of millennials. All of them, the majority, vast majority of them say the reason they cannot go in business for themselves is they lack the capital. So they're looking for a business, but they lack the capital. Oh, by the way, uh, back to talk about the millennials just a little bit, because Jason did so well. 
Uh, there is some confusion there, Jason. 72% of them want to go in business for themselves, but 51% of them, 51% of them uh, claim to be socialist. <laughs> a little, little odd there. Socialism's not going to become their BFF, right? <laughs> they just don't go well together. But think about what we are doing. We're offering, we have this ever-expanding uh, 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 house of brands, right, that have eight different business, business models, everything from brick and mortar to uh, what, online sales and everything in between that we can offer people to get involved for less than 100 bucks. Think about what we have when 72% of the millennials want to be in business for themselves right now. I've been around for 43 years in this industry. I can honestly tell you I have never seen a time when we had such a great thing to offer than right now. I'm going to challenge every one of you to leave here. Pick somebody as a mentor. I don't, whoever you believe in that's moving on. Find somebody, pick them, follow them. And then what was it? Jason said, Goya, Goya, just take charge, and God bless, and we'll see you on the beaches. This audio series was created to help you with personal development, professional development, and gaining the skills to build a sustainable business. While certainly no one can guarantee success, it is our hope that the principles and ideas discussed here will enable you to experience the thrill of accomplishment and offer your life greater significance and enjoyment. This is a copyrighted program. The purchase of the program is optional and any unauthorized reproduction or broadcast of this digital media without express written consent is strictly prohibited. All rights are reserved.